Hello, everyone, and welcome back again to Skip to the Gay Parts, a podcast where I, your host, Amanda, watch an entire television series and deliver you a book report about just how queer the characters in it are. And welcome to another installment of our queer pirate series that is Black Sails. This week, we're going to touch on the quiet but deadly and endlessly complex woman that is Anne Bonny, as well as the increasingly mysterious woman that she falls in love with, Max. Now, I debated for a while about trying to split Anne and Max's stories into two different episodes, but the strength of this show in particular is that every single character's story is important to the greater tale, and that is never more present than in Anne, Bonnie, and Max's tale of love, betrayal, and piracy. Please do be warned that this episode will include discussions of sexual assault as they are integral points in these characters' stories and cannot be avoided. Now, while our previously discussed pirate characters James Flint and John Silver were more inspired by the literary world of Treasure Island, Anne Bonny is the name of an actual pirate who existed in the real world, as is her pirate partner, Jack Rackham. Legend has it that Anne Bonny, the real person, was an Irish pirate who moved to Nassau in the 1700s, and it is there that she met Calico Jack Rackham and became his pirate partner and lover. And they were captured together in 1720 with a woman named Mary Reed, who could possibly be the inspiration for the other complex black saleswoman that is Max. No last name, simply Max. Although it has been pointed out by the official Black Sails Twitter that the greatest pirate captain in history was a sex worker, she controlled 1,500 ships and over 60,000 pirates. So I can absolutely see her being the inspiration for our one and only Max. Again, it's almost impossible to talk about one of these three, Anne, Bonnie, Max, or Jack Rackham, without one of the other three coming up. Their stories are so intertwined and important to one another that only focusing on one of them is, it's kind of like telling half of their story. So, we're going to touch on mostly Anne, Bonnie, and Max in this episode, but Jack Rackham will be around, as Jack Rackham is always around in the story of these two women in the show that is Black Sails. But I am going to do my best to give everyone their moment. So let's start by talking about Anne, Bonnie, and the moments we get to be with her on the wonderful program that is Black Sails. Now, first of all, what letter of the LGBTQ spectrum does she fall under? Bisexual is probably the header that fits her best, though she doesn't seem like a woman that would particularly care about labels. But, honestly, most of the characters on Black Sails are out here given big bisexual energy, and Anne Bonny is no exception to that rule. The first time we ever see her, she is lurking in the background, hiding under her hat in the darkness, exactly as unassuming as she wants you to see her. That is, until someone puts a knife to her neck and she flips it around on him in the blink of an eye, cutting him down quickly. One must never mistake this woman's quiet nature for gentleness. Anne Bonny is a deadly weapon. She is quiet, she's intense, she takes exactly what she wants, exactly when she wants it, and she is endlessly loyal to those who deserve it. And we find out in the run of the series that Jack Rackham is one of those people that deserves her loyalty. He saved her life when she was 13 years old. He saw her in a bar being beaten by her husband and rescued her by slitting his throat and taking her away with him. He became her friend and her lover and her partner on the sea, and she will be loyal to him until the day she dies. To quote Anne herself in speaking about Jack, he took me in when I didn't have shit, made a place for me, taught me things. Without him, I wouldn't have fucking made it. When someone gives you a life, it ain't truly your own. You owe some part of it back. And that's a big sticking point for her. When she is shown kindness or mercy, she then feels obligated to repay it. She owes you something for that kindness. It's where a lot of her loyalty comes from. Now, she and Jack are members of a pirate captain named Charles Vane's crew. He is the most feared pirate in the high seas, and she is the attack dog lingering by his side. Her loyalty to him is secondary to that of Jack, but that pull is strong and commands a lot of her decisions early in the series. And then comes along Max, whose affection muddies the waters of Anne's mind. Max is a woman who works in the brothel on Nassau, but she is also strong and cunning and so strategic it could make your head spin. 
In fact, when we first meet her, she's one of the many women given as a gift to welcome John Silver on his first night of Nassau. But then the next morning, she wakes up holding the stolen page that leads to the Urca gold in her hands. The one that he stole and carelessly left in his pants while these gifts of women showed him a good time last night. Now, Max is no idiot. She sees the value in this page right away. And she also sees John Silver fumbling with the power of having this information. So she takes it upon herself to help him broker a deal with Jack Rackham for the page. But Max very quickly realizes that she got in over her head with this deal. And then she tries to convince Eleanor Guthrie, the leader of Nassau and the woman who Max is clearly in love with, to run away with her so they can start somewhere new away from Nassau. The Max and Eleanor of it all is a bit complicated. And I might jump around a bit, but I promise it'll all make sense. So Max asks Eleanor to run away with her, to escape the wrath of Vane's crew together, but Eleanor will not give up her power on this island. It's all she has. It's all she is. She got this power from her father, but she is holding it herself and she will not let it go. She offers Max protection, but Max cannot take it. And so she begs Eleanor to reconsider points out that this place, it's just sand. It cannot love you back. You know that. You must know that. But Eleanor cannot be swayed. So Max tries to run away on her own, but fails and is captured by Charles Vane's men. A further complication here is that Charles Vane and Eleanor also have a romantic and sexual relationship, which Max uses to try to bond with her captor. We see Eleanor turning to her complicated and sexual relationship with Vane when she needs it. They all use each other in messed up ways while also having underlying, very real feelings flow through it all. And then we see Max tend to Eleanor's broken heart and diminished spirit in her bed. Max will always have a way with words. And she even says to Eleanor in the very first episode of the series, when the sea grows rough, you come to Max. Max is your harbor. Both Vane and Max are in love with Eleanor and both have been cast aside by her in favor of her own ambitions. I say, everyone on Black Sails has big bisexual energy. You can't name a straight person on the show. You simply can't. And so when Vane, who is holding Max in a cell, asks her, why did you run away instead of taking up the protection Eleanor offered? She says, you of all people should understand what it feels like to lose the affection of one Eleanor Guthrie which actually softens Vane to her cause and makes him decide to sneak her off the island. It's at the end of this interlude that Max and Anne Bonnie truly enter each other's lives. When Jack, working under Vane's instruction, tries to stealthily remove Max from their custody, they're intercepted. And Max is taken by Vane's crew and assaulted in the square for everyone to see and hear. And again, Eleanor Guthrie comes in. Eleanor hears the commotion and sees Max being violated by the crew on the island and threatens them and tells them that if they do not abandon Charles Vane and his crew immediately, they will never be able to sail on the high seas again. In offer, it must be noted that Anne Bonnie herself almost takes up, because she may be loyal to Vane, but she could not watch this treatment of Max, and she would rather die than never be able to sail again. But Vane stops her his hold over her remaining strong, and so she stays on the island with him. Max, however, refuses to be a damsel in distress waiting to be saved. It didn't matter that Eleanor stopped the assault. Max tells her to fuck off and that she will remain with Vane and his crew to pay off her debt of betrayal. She takes the power of the situation back by choosing to remain where she is. Max and Anne both use their sexuality to take back the power that sexual assault tries to take from them, and they both do it in incredibly interesting ways. When we first meet Anne, after she cuts down the man threatening her, she walks up to Jack and says she wants sex now. She's not shy about her needs with him, despite her terrible history with her ex-husband. And this trend of claiming her power through sex continues through the series. And Max is a sex worker, who finds power in how her body can serve her to make money and make deals and keep her safe and important. I also find Max as the exception to the everyone on the show is bi rule, as she is very clearly a lesbian who sleeps with men for work. With men, sex is transactional for her. She finds her pleasure in the women around her over and over again in this show. Even when she is assaulted, as she has been by Vane's men, it is important to her to make the choice to stay. 
to be an active part in her own life and not be someone that needs to be saved. I'm not saying it's the wisest move, but it was the one I understand coming from her. Because it's a great idea in concept, but when Max is truly being held and used by Vane's crew, she tries to use her developed skills of making the men think she is bringing them pleasure instead of them taking it from her. But they are much more violent than her clients at the brothel were, and she is quickly starting to be beat into the role they would rather she be. Anne, on the other hand, is an onlooker in this treatment for a while. Sure, she had tried to leave when Eleanor offered it in standing up for Max, but she ultimately didn't. And she is a strong and powerful woman, but she does not hold the kind of power over the crew that could get them to stop hurting Max, not all on her own. And to be clear, Anne does hold a little bit of the blame. She's the one that spoke to Jack and to Vane and pointed them in Max's direction for the betrayal. And Anne does not deny responsibility, but she does say she thought they might just kill Max. She never imagined this kind of torture. She recounts a time that one time a member of the crew put his balls on her shoulder, and so she cut them off. She encourages Max to fight back when they get mean. She starts to stand guard outside Max's tent, but again, she does not truly have the power to stop the truly bad men from doing whatever they wanted with her. Now, one may wonder why exactly is Anne reacting so strongly to Max's treatment? Is it because she's the only other woman on the crew, or that she's a fellow abuse survivor, and that she feels sick seeing Max treated this way? Or is it the fact that it's Max? That it's her, in particular, that Anne can't stand seeing treated like this? One member of the crew is particularly horrible to Max for no reason. His name is Hammond, and Anne wants him dead for what he's done. But one man's death out of the whole crew would be suspicious, and Anne would be immediately found out. So for the first time, we see Anne truly scheme the way that Max does. She goes to Eleanor and hatches a plan to lead Hammond and the other remaining members of Vane's crew into an ambush where they're all killed. After the killings, Max is relieved of her debt to the crew and goes back to the brothel, the one that Anne and Jack are now the owners of and running, or, well, trying to run. At one point, Jack fires the woman who always ran the brothel because she took too much money for herself. But now, with no madame... The women are charging whatever they want and lying to Jack about their earnings. A fact that Max points out, because she truly just can't stand by and watch Jack be so fucking stupid. She knows she can do it better. And so he makes her a madame. And she gets a little bit more power in this place where she was once treated as an item. And after gaining this power, we do get a scene of Max and Eleanor where Max says she understands why Eleanor would not leave this place. This Sam that could not love her back. She tells Eleanor what she has learned about places like Nassau. Pile of sand, it may be. She says sand has its virtues. On sand, nothing is fixed. Nothing is permanent. And fate changes so quickly. Yesterday, I was a whore of little consequence. Easily dismissed. Easily forgotten. Today, I am a madame. With income and allies. A woman who has learned the most important of lessons. Never let anyone stand between you and your ambitions. This is a philosophy that holds strong for both Max and Anne throughout the rest of the series. But while Max is on Nassau, building her power and empire, Anne is on the other side of things. Anne is currently pissed at Jack for making such a big decision of making Max a madam without her. And she accuses him of sleeping with Max and allowing her to manipulate him into this job. She knows it's bullshit. She knows that's not what's happening. But she has feelings for Max she has not confronted yet, and she feels it coming between herself and Jack, and she does not like the way that it makes her feel, and so she's lashing out. In season two, it all starts to come into focus for Anne, Max, and Jack. Because eventually, Max has to confront the hostility she's feeling come from Anne as they run the brothel together. Especially after Anne says she's going to kick Max out of the brothel. It makes Max's self-preservation instincts kick in heavily. And so she slips into Anne's room and tells her, If we're all going to make something of this place, perhaps it is in everyone's best interest that you and I find a way past all of this, past your anger towards me. She says that Anne's anger is understandable. Anne killed her own crew to free Max. And Anne has suffered indignity in Max's defense. And that may be enough to warrant Anne's anger. But Max says, perhaps there is something else underlying it. Something hiding in a place that not even you can see. Perhaps we would do well to bring it into the light. And Max makes a move to touch Anne's shoulder, and predictably, Anne reacts with anger, pulling a knife on Max. 
but the tension in the room is so palpable and they're standing so close. And they kiss, finally putting action to the swirling feelings they've both been having for quite a while now. But instead of clarifying things for her, this only sends Anne into a whole new kind of tailspin. Because she wants Max. She desperately wants her. But she owes Jack her life. She's only known a devotion to him for so long and this feels like a betrayal. And she can't wrap her mind around it. And Max says she understands that they are something so different from what Anne knows. And that if it is truly Anne's wish, they can simply pretend it never happened and never let it happen again. But that's not what Anne wants. And so she goes to Max and lets Max hold her, even sneaking out of her bed with Jack to do it. Not that he's blind to it. He sees Max working her way into Anne's heart and trying to drive a wedge between himself and Anne. And honestly, even though you could see that there are real feelings there, Max is pretty clearly doing exactly what Jack is accusing her of. She's a woman with a heart, but she thinks through every decision she makes so strategically. Getting close to Anne benefits Max, and that has to be at least part of the appeal. Jack accuses Max of seducing Anne into doing what she wants, and Max fires back, Call it what you want, but yesterday she was enraged, and today she is not. That is not seduction, that is simply removing the cause of her frustration. Max doesn't deny it. In fact, she even teases Jack, saying that Anne has clearly had feelings for her for a while. She even casually brings up the crew members who hurt her that now lay dead, planting the thought in Jack's mind that Anne did all of that to save Max, even at the detriment of her relationship with Jack, because he didn't know about any of this. He's threatened by this, and he tells Max he'll take it up with Anne and see if Anne will redirect some anger her way, but Max manages to convince him that that strategy will backfire and she will come out the object of Anne's affection still. You can see it written all over Anne's face as she lays vulnerable in Max's naked arms, that she feels guilt doing this, but this is also the first time we see Anne with her walls down. She feels safe here with Max, and that's a rare feeling for her. And so, of course, Jack catches them in the act. He walks in, them kissing in bed, and he makes it known that he knows what's happening between them, and he makes it into a positive for himself and their business. He tells Max, I know that your girls here at the brothel hold secrets from men on other crews, and now you will direct any of the secret her girls pull from the pirates in their beds to him, and he will use them to gather a crew and a ship that the three of them will hold a share of. And on his way out, he turns to Anne and tells her, Darling, I can understand why you wouldn't want to tell me about this. But please know that all I have ever wanted from you is to be happy. Come to bed when you're through. Which is the first step on a path that I am in love with for this show. Of taking something that could have been an angry, bloody, violent love triangle and making it into a positive experience for them all simply because Jack and Max both love Anne so much and cannot stand to take something that she wants away from her. But jealousy does still exist. And when he wakes up without Anne in his bed, knowing she's with Max, he's upset. He gets frustrated and confronts Anne and asks if she honestly doesn't see that her judgment with Max is clouded. To which Anne basically says, duh. And he asks if she can see it, why doesn't she stop it? And Anne says, she can't. That's it. She's got no other explanation. She just, she can't say no to her. And then in walks Charles Vane to talk to, of all people, Max. At first, scaring her with his presence, and then requesting that her girls get some information that a pirate he's trying to swindle. She accuses him of motivations other than financial. She knows he wants to rip off this man because this man has been cruel to Eleanor Guthrie, the woman that is still the Achilles heel for them both. But Max agrees to help under the condition that Charles Vane help remove the black mark from Anne and Jack, and that they be allowed to sail again without repercussion from Vane. You see, Jack and Anne only run the brothel because after everything that went down with the crew that now lay dead, Jack and Anne were banned from sailing with Vane or any other crew. That's why Jack needs the secrets pulled from Max's girls' beds to try to pull something else together. But Max is trying to help just a little bit more with this. Because this is a mark they only have because of Anne's night of scheming over the pearls where she killed the crew, Anne taking that moment to kill Hammond for his cruelty against Max. The mark is on them because of her, and she's trying to take that first step in building their relationship by helping get it removed. Vane agrees to the deal, pays her, and when he returns to the brothel later, he encounters Anne and Jack. In payment to Max, he's repairing their reputations by sitting with them here in public where everyone can see. 
And he looks between Anne and Jack and says, Look at the two of you. Every reason to run screaming from each other, yet every bit as thick as the moment I found you fucking behind the galley. You'll either be the death of each other or we'll all end up working for you one day. Doubt there's any third outcome. Please keep that line in mind when I get to the end of this story because every single moment of this show is on purpose. Every word was put there deliberately. But this sudden peacemaking moment with Charles Vane is really baffling to Jack and Anne. That is until they see Max walk in and whisper in Vane's ear and they figure out what deal must have been made. All of a sudden, with this one action, Max is not an obstacle to Anne and Jack. She's a useful tool, and someone that Jack can no longer deny is good for them both. And so later that night, Anne invites Jack upstairs with her into Max's bed. And one of the standout details in this episode, as noted by Elizabeth, my writing contributor to this episode, in this scene, Anne is taking off her shirt for the sex scene. In all of her previous sex scenes with both Jack and Max, she stays at least partially clothed. And I think that choice further underscores that she's allowing herself to be vulnerable in these relationships and is coming to trust Max. Because when Anne does take her shirt off, it reveals to us scars that must have been left over from her abusive husband. This is a big moment of vulnerability for her and for the development of this relationship between Max and Jack and Anne. As Anne is a woman of few words, she lets her actions speak for themselves, and it leaves Jack and Max a bit confused and caught up in a mild game of chicken, staring each other down before ultimately undressing and joining Anne in bed. It does not immediately ease tension between Max and Jack. They don't automatically trust each other now. Max even accuses him of setting up the night they just spent with Anne. She spits some mild biphobia wrapped up in her competitive nature by saying, What is happening here, the three of us, it is only temporary until she makes a choice. To which Jack responds that he's known Anne since she was 13 years old. That they have shared things Max cannot begin to imagine. And that Max has only shared a bed with Anne for a week. And listen, a hot competitive lesbian is a fucking joy to watch sometimes. Especially when they drop in lines like this. You would be amazed what can change in a week in my bed. The pissing match over the woman they love is great storytelling only because I know it does not end up as a love triangle situation. More doubt is cast between them when Jack watches Max coach one of her girls to make a man fall in love with her and freely give information that Jack needs. He learns in this moment that Max knows how to manipulate a person's emotions in this way and it makes him think that that might be what she's doing to Anne. But this makes him, yet another person underestimating Anne and her ability to see through Max's bullshit. Which is why when he complains to Anne about understanding Max, she finally speaks up. Anne turns to Jack and says, I've put a lot of bodies in the ground for you, haven't I? Watched your back, cleaned up your messes, carried out your plans. I didn't always understand, didn't always agree, but I did it. Some fucked up awful shit because I know you needed it done. I don't think the night you had last night comes even close to something to bitch about. And she points out to him that she is not as stupid as he seems to think she is. She tells him, I know she's dangerous, especially to me. I ain't in my right head about her. She knows it, and it ain't hard to imagine her intent is to play us off one against the other. But I'm asking you to do this. Watch my back on the other side of that door. Because I know that as long as you are, there ain't shit she can do to get between us. Which is just... It's everything. This new thing with Max is important to her and she's nervous and scared about what it means, but she also knows that she needs Jack in her life. She's not casting him aside in favor of Max. She needs them both. He's her safety net and she needs him to remember that. Because why have a love triangle when you can have polyamory? And Max is as cunning in the minds of men as she is in the bedroom. Because she and her best girl in the brothel get a prominent captain to hand over his entire crew to Jack and Anne. This threesome of minds and hearts is destined for success as long as they put their egos aside and realize how good they are for one another. And if Anne can realize her jealousy is unnecessary and trust that her bed partners, both being into the sex they're all having, is a good thing. Except the concept of trust falls pretty quickly to pieces after they all finally come together but then Jack, trying to acquire a new crew, is forced to choose between either Anne or Max remaining a part of it. And as he ends up choosing Max because of the valuable information she provides, it leaves Anne on the outside looking in. A woman without a crew. 
betrayed by the man she trusts most in the world. It sends Anne into a rage. She feels utterly abandoned and cast out into the abyss by Jack, and it causes her to go crew shopping. She's lashing out in anger and injuring some pirates when she's rejected from other crews. And one of Max's girls becomes concerned that Max could be in danger of the wrath, but Max refuses to become another person Anne can't trust. Quote, How would you feel if the one man you thought would never betray you did? If he purchased for himself a future through that betrayal? If you were told by a world of men that that betrayal confirmed for them that they were right to see you as a monster? To be shunned? She's not mad. She is adrift, alone in the most terrifying way. And what she will do next I do not know, but I refuse to proclaim myself to be yet another one of her enemies by acting like I have something to fear from her. And in that speech we can also see the show doing another tie to the queer characters being seen as the world as a kind of monster. Which is just, it's the most brilliant writing. This show has the most brilliant writing. And while Max was right to assume Anne would never harm her, Anne's rage is still boiling over. And when she encounters another pirate keeping the truth of the Urk gold to himself, a man who hurls insults at her and makes her feel small and worthless, she can't help herself anymore and kills him and one of Max's girls who is in the room with him. But the reality of what she did quickly hits Anne as Max finds her cowering in the corner of that room covered in her victim's blood. Max, knowing the consequences of what Anne has just done, yet again decides to remain an ally and cover this up deciding to protect Anne above all else. And Max does this by concocting a story of this pirate running away with the woman he loved to explain away both of their disappearances. And she burns Anne's clothes from that day, all except her hat. As, again, contributed to this episode, Elizabeth points out, Anne's hat is like an extension of her. It keeps her hidden behind her hair in the background until the moment she wants you to see her. It's part of her pirate uniform part of her armor, and the people who love her see its importance. Jack taps it to get her attention. It's the only thing Max doesn't burn when she's cleaning up the murder, and in a tender moment between them later in the series, Jack kisses that hat affectionately to show Anne that he cares. And lying naked in Max's bed, after Max burns her clothes, Anne finally tells her of the abuse she survived and what Jack did to rescue her. It explains why yet another man coming after her so personally was the thing that made her snap and kill, as unwise as that action may have been. This entire experience throws Anne into a crisis of self. She asks Max and herself, I'm not what I was when I was born, and I ain't what I became instead. So what the fuck am I? We even see her put on the clothes that Max gives her as a replacement for her own, which is a dress, much like what Max wears something we've never seen Anne in before. We watch her see herself in this dress, and it stirs up all kind of gender feelings for her and for the viewer. We slowly start to see her express and perform femininity in the way that she has never been able to before. And there's a moment with a man downstairs in the brothel who sees her eating, assumes she's one of the women working, and for whatever reason, Anne lets him believe it. She even goes as far as bringing him up to a room before another of Max's girls intercepts them and sends Anne out of that room, which is when Anne falls into tears in Max's arms. And after letting Anne process and go up to bed, Max runs into her old friend John Silver, who tells her that he doesn't just have a page anymore. He now knows where the Urca Gold itself is, and all he needs from her is a crew that can go and pick it up. This begins Anne's brief dark period. She has to go away from Nassau, away from all of this, to figure out exactly who she is. Meanwhile, the people she loves wait for her to return. This leaves Max and Jack to actually have to get along with one another, especially since they're now in possession of the incredible treasure that every pirate on this island has been looking for. Max knows Anne loves her, even if she's gone right now. She knows that they're strong and real, but she also knows that if it comes down to a choice between her and Jack, Anne will choose Jack. And that's why she needs to be Jack's friend and loyal business partner and keep them tied together with the bond that is loving Anne and make sure her future is secure by tending to the issue of the gold. Another note from contributing writer Elizabeth is that in this period, Max really comes to terms with and realizes how much Jack cares about Anne. She expects him to be angry and take it out on Anne when she explains what happened with Logan and Charlotte and where Anne has gone. And instead, 
Jack has this moment of self-reflection where he says that he doesn't really understand Anne anymore. And either that means that she's changed drastically, or he never really knew her the way he thought he did. And it does seem like Max is surprised that he took the news that way. But that realization on Max's part does help smooth out the relationship between the two of them and explain why Max is pretty convinced that Anne would choose Jack over her. There's genuine affections on all sides of this quote-unquote love triangle. But I don't think the depth of Jack's affection for Anne is immediately clear to outsiders, especially since he's cultivated this hyper-ambitious ladder-climbing persona, and his choice of Max over Anne in regards to the crew is in line with that. But they make an incredible team. After a brief visit with Eleanor, Max correctly figures out that Jack needs to move the gold that they have now, or they could risk losing it. And she's proven right by that when Jack's crew gets attacked, only for him to be saved by Anne Bonnie herself, back from her great voyage of self-discovery. Max stays behind on the island while Anne and Jack go off to sea, because the power balance on the shores of Nassau is once again shifting, and Max needs to make sure she ends up on the winning side. Also ever-changing is Anne's understanding about her own heart. She and Jack have a heart-to-heart -heart about why she came back, and she tells him that he saved her from something awful, and she owes him her life for it. But there might be a little part of her that he just can't have. She tells him, quote, I can't be your wife, Jack, but you and I are going to be partners until they put us in the fucking ground. Elizabeth, my co-writer, has also said, there's an ambiguity of this particular line that she can't be Jack's wife, but they're going to be partners until they die. She says, I can't be your wife. Is this some way of her breaking up with Jack or trying to clarify that their relationship, while important, can't or shouldn't remain sexual or romantic? Or does she mean it more along the lines of, this is never going to be a conventional relationship, but we'll always have each other to come back to. Which are incredible questions. Because I think how people interpret this particular conversation plays into if they interpret Anne as bi, or if someone who has had a self-discovery arc and has now figured out that she's a lesbian or primarily interested in women. Frankly, either reading is valid, and one of the greatest things about Black Sails is the way that it captures all the ambiguity and complexity of queerness and relationships. Elizabeth and I are also in agreement that Anne Bonnie 100% does not give a fuck about labels and would not care what we would classify her under as long as we didn't get in her fucking way. Because relationships are complicated and messy and hard, but Anne knows for sure that she loves Max and she knows for sure that she needs Jack by her side for the rest of her life. And he will be damned if he's gonna let go of any part of her he is still allowed to have. So as Jack and Anne are off battling Spanish soldiers to bring the Urca Gold back to the island, their partner, Max, is using her wit and wisdom to secure them the tavern and a safe place to bring that gold. These three as a team are cunning and smart and deadly. They're something that no one saw coming. They protect the bounty that everyone on the island had been set on retrieving. They use Jack and Anne's pull with the crew to secure it, and Max's mind to figure out that converting it into pearls would be easier to protect. However, there comes a time that the fort that they're using as basically a massive safe is no longer going to be secure. England is closing in, and the gold once again has to be moved, and the people securing it need to flee the island. And though Anne has now figured out that she needs both Max and Jack in her life, the moment of them having to leave the island pushes them to a crossroads. And again, this is a time that a lesser show would have made Anne choose between the two of them, effectively saying that this possibly bisexual character needs to choose between the man and the woman that she loves, leaving the viewer with whatever subtextual conclusion that decision leads to. But Black Sails is not that show. No, instead it's Max who ends up making the hard choice. She tells Anne of her life growing up as a slave and how she used to sneak out of the slave quarters at night and stare into the parlor of the main house. She'd watch the little girl around her age living a wonderful life, singing and reading and being tucked into bed by her father. Max's father. Max knows that the things that made this house that she peered into possible to exist were horrible, but inside of there, there was peace. And that's all that Max wants, to take this place that she has built through horrible means and make it a place of peace for herself. She tells Anne, when you and I began, you did not choose me. Something that lives inside of you beyond choice made it so. Which is an excellent line, not just for the nature of this love story, but for the queer narrative overall. Anne didn't meet Max and make a choice to fall for her. It was something that was always going to exist, something that could not be helped. 
It was as natural as breathing. It was who and what she was always going to be. Max says that the situation of their drifting apart at this moment is also beyond choice. She knows that their roads are going to diverge and she would rather it happen now so they don't have to live in fear of it. And Anne gives her that. She gives Max a real kiss and leaves her alone to split their shares of the pearls evenly, trusting that she doesn't have to watch Max to do it. She knows that she'll do right by her. Now please bear with me as you have so far, because the next little bit of recapping will also jump around in the show's timeline, but I want to make sure to cover both Max and Anne's individual moments in the best way possible. So when Anne and Jack are off again on the ship, battling certain death, Max stays behind on Nassau to build her power even more. In the wake of Eleanor Guthrie's arrest, Max sees an opportunity for power, so she buys Eleanor's tavern. She has her firm hold over the brothel that she owns with Jack and Anne, and she sees an opportunity to get on the governing council of the island and buys her way into it. Which, first of all, is an absolutely incredible move, considering Eleanor Guthrie is her ex-girlfriend. Like, let's think about that. Max's ex gets taken into custody and could possibly be hanged, and Max swoops in, buys her bar, and effectively takes her job running the businesses on this pirate island. Fucking legendary scorned ex shit. The most wonderful thing about the queer character that is Max is that her queerness is the least interesting thing about her. Her relationship with Anne is powerful and important, but her relationship with power and her interest and determination in owning a world that wants nothing more than to stomp her out is the thing that makes you look at Max and go, oh my god, she's incredible! She's had to fight and claw her way into every room she ever entered, and by the time she walks out, she makes sure that she is the one that owns the whole goddamn building and everyone in it. This is a woman who was born into the world with absolutely nothing. She doesn't even have a last name, which is so powerful to consider in this world where people's legacies are attached to their last names. Flint, Silver, Rackham, Vane, Bonnie, Guthrie. They're established and fearsome names that when you hear them, it makes people pay attention. And then there's Max. No last name needed, just Max. You say the name Max on the island of Nassau and people know exactly who the fuck you're talking about. Names and legacy are important in the life of a pirate. And that is ultimately what makes Jack Rackham stop in his tracks as he and Anne try to flee the island with their share of the gold. Even with their money and influence to protect what they want to do, they have to change their names. And for Jack Rackham, that's a step too far. He pitches to Anne that they go back to the town, that they can protect their names by getting one of the pardons that's being handed out by the crown. A quote from Jack, It would take us half a day if that. We walk into the tavern, sign our names, and then not only are we square with the law, our money is too. And Anne looks him in the eyes and says, we did it. We beat the fucking game. We walk another half mile. We get in that boat and we win. And you want to go back? Spoiler alert. Anne was right to not go back. And Jack is an idiot for risking it all to save his name. And as soon as he realizes the error of his ways, he sends Anne a coded message to take the money and run. And then as the power in Nassau is constantly shifting and things are constantly changing, Eleanor Guthrie, now released from prison and standing by the side of the English governor ruling over Nassau, is also standing by the side of Max, and she is telling Jack that joining them is best for the future of Nassau. Max and Jack are both people who understand the concept of keeping their friends close and their enemies closer, but Jack has far less faith in the system that Max is trying to manipulate from the inside. Which is very fair, considering he came back to the island to try and accept the pardon from the system and was instead taken into custody. And yet, Max tries. She meets with Anne and tries to persuade her to give up the cash of gold in exchange for Jack's release. Anne gives her no answer, but Max assures the governor holding Nassau that though the decision will tear Anne to pieces, she'll make the exchange to keep Jack safe. And the worst part of that is that she's right, and Jack knows it too. He knows Anne would do anything to save him, and he resents his captor all the more for it. He asks if the governor has a wife, and he asks, quote, How do you imagine she would feel if she were told you were suffering some awful degrading abuse, and the only way she could end it would be to betray your trust? How do you think she would feel if she betrayed you, knowing she likely lost that trust forever, 
and then learn the whole thing was based on a ruse and no one was harmed. We are all villains in Nassau. Don't think that because you're new, you're any different. End quote. Jack Rackham is not under any illusions that he's the good guy. He's out to survive, just as Anne and Max are out to survive. They're all villains, but they all have the good sense not to hide it. And truly, what is a morally gray kind of villain trope without a dusting of queerness sprinkled all around it? This whole exchange worries Max. She worries that Anne won't go through with it. She worries that there will be a fight and that Anne will get hurt. She says, quote, I don't know which is worse that she will perish fighting for Jack, or that she survive without him, if that is even truly surviving, losing half of herself in that way, unquote. In this whole thing, we finally get a moment of Max confronting Eleanor and who Max has become since Eleanor broke her heart. She says, quote, There was a time I could not conceive ever forgiving you, and in this moment, I am you. I'll be putting in a lot of quotes here, as Black Sail's writing team is... Shakespearean. Max wants power. She wants the stability of her life, but the idea of becoming the woman that she hates in order to get there is a struggle for her to accept. She says in reference to the chair that she now has in the office that once belonged to Eleanor, quote, that fucking chair. To gain it, it demands you win partners, call them friends, make them promises. To keep it, it demands you break them all. One day, when all is settled here, we should burn that fucking chair. Unquote. And on the other side of this island, what is supposed to be the exchange for the cash for Jack ends up screwing Anne over, only for it to be revealed that Anne has teamed up with Charles Vane. And this is all a part of a massively big plan to get back Jack and the cash and take back the island of Nassau with it. And when Max hears that Anne gave up the cash without a fight, it throws up alarm bells in her head. She says, quote, you could have sent a thousand men and it would not have deterred her. And now you say she knew she had been crossed and she chose to walk away to save herself? Unquote. It's a very big, are you a fucking idiot moment out of Max. She knows Anne and Jack better than anyone in the world and hearing that Anne let the cash go without getting Jack back and without a fight is insane to her. And she's proven right. When Anne and Vane launch an attack on the caravan holding Jack and get him and the cache of gems back. But there isn't enough time for them all to get away and it does lead to Vane being captured while Anne and Jack ride away on the horse. And while Jack and Anne sit on the seas, ready to wage a war for revenge for Charles Vane and to get back Nassau, Max is back on the island she will never stop fighting to stake her place in, trying to convince Eleanor to slow down. But even though she is unsuccessful, even watching the fight for the soul of Nassau, Max is actively working to make sure that she lands on the winning side because she must. Jack has a line in a scene where he is standing on a boat with another captain and Anne Bonny, and they seem to be outnumbered by the British fleet that surrounds them. And he says to raise the black instead of firing, which would make people think that they're on their own. And the captain doesn't understand the strategy as it would single them out as being outnumbered. And Jack looks at him and says a line that encompasses him and Bonnie and Max all in one fell swoop. And he says, to be underestimated is an incredible gift. Because Anne, Max, and Jack are not the main characters of this story that is Black Sails. They aren't the leaders of the rebellion or the ones waging the war. But they are key to the success of absolutely everything. They're the ones who got the Urk of Gold in their hands in the first place. Max is the one at the side of the rich and powerful on the island. Anne is the one leading a silent fleet of soldiers undetected onto another ship to take it over. They're overlooked as not a real threat. And in that very underestimation lies their deadly nature. Things get bloody and messy and violent in the war for Nassau. Max sees that the British hold of this island is slowly slipping away, and she's doing her best to keep all of her plates spinning. She overlooks that one of her girls and a crew member that that girl is in love with are spies slipping secrets to the pirates, and she tells them, just stop what you're doing and I will say nothing. Meanwhile on the sea, we meet Captain Edward Teach, the man who created Captain Charles Vane in the first place. He's the captain whose boat Anne and Jack are currently sailing on, and Teach asks Anne to go ashore and take Eleanor Guthrie hostage, but she refuses. Anne explains why she refuses to Jack. She says, quote, I go looking for Eleanor Guthrie. I'm going to find her too, she says, meaning Max. She's furious with Max for the lies she told, the things she did that made Anne almost lose Jack. For a long time, she dreamt of revenge, but now that she has the opportunity to get it, she doesn't want it anymore. She can't do it. She says, quote, that fucking island makes you do shit you don't want to do. How is it that we haven't figured that out by now? And that right there is a 
big moment of realization in the relationship of Anne and Max. Max is on the island fighting hard to keep a hold on it, to protect the things that she built on this island that she has earned her place on. And Anne can't even figure out why the fuck she and Jack came back to this place that has brought them nothing but pain. It seems like Anne thinks there's a situation where Max's capture or death will make sense and while she's angry at her, that's not something she actively wants. Meanwhile, Max has betrayed both Anne and Jack to earn and protect her position and now is starting to see the negative effects of the regime that she helped install and has continued to prop up. Max wants this all to end so badly. She rejects a deal with Silver that she believes will only pull her further into the dark. She says she should have had him killed. But, quote, who am I if I spend my days pleading for a return to civility and then go do dark things under the cover of night? She tries to take Silver and his men into custody, but she ends up barely escaping with her life. And yet, for even taking this meeting with Silver, she's taken into custody of the man running the island while Eleanor and the governor are gone. But Max stays strong in her resolve and refuses to give up her informants, the spies she knew about on the island. And out on the sea, the governor that has taken over Nassau has taken Anne and Jack captive. He brutally murders Edward Teach and has Anne and Jack beaten within an inch of their lives. And yet, even when beaten bloody and almost losing everything, Anne manages to get the keys to her and her crewmate's shackles and toss them to Jack, enabling the crew to get up, fight back, and retake their ship. But Anne is truly and deeply broken in body and spirit by this brutal event. And then back on the sand, Finally realizing that she has to let go, Max tries to escape the island while the battle of the incoming Spanish fleet blazes on behind her. Finally realizing that staying in this place will be her end if she does not get out right now. And in her attempt to escape, she finds Jack Rackham on a beach and tells him that she's looking for Eleanor, who, to the last of her knowledge, was with the famed Captain Flint. Jack does have some wonderful comebacks through the series, and in answer to Max looking for Eleanor in this moment, he says, quote, I betrayed you, Jack, tried to trade your life for my own personal gain, and lied to Anne to her face about it. Please, Jack, I beg of you, will you ever forgive me? That was the general sense of what I might come here from your mouth were I ever to be this close to you again. Unquote. And I appreciate the sass, but it is truly not the time because Max shuts him up with the news of the Spanish arrival. And you see the gears turn in his head as they both take a moment of contemplation over this news. And then he makes the decision to get his men, who had just landed on the island, back on their newly reclaimed ship, completely free of the British that had taken it over. He turns to them and says, Spanish invasion, you're welcome to stay. He's a little shit. And then he turns back to Max and catches her eye and asks if she's coming and that he won't ask again. Because at the end of the day, he knows the state that Anne is in right now and he knows the complicated history. But he also knows he can't willingly leave this woman behind. I believe that this was an olive branch to Anne, him rescuing Max in this way. And when Max does finally get to see Anne again, the very first thing she says is, quote, I loved you and I betrayed you, but I cannot apologize for it. I did what anyone would have done when confronted with the same impossible choices. If I apologize, you will know it is a lie, and I do not wish to lie to you ever again, unquote. But Anne, still recovering from the beating that she took from the people that tried to take her ship, cannot hear it. She doesn't want to. And she tells Max to go. And so Max stays away, up on deck. And while she's up there, one of Anne and Jack's crew says he does remember the good that Max has done, as he was the spy that Max refused to hand over. And even if Jack and Anne are angry right now, he knows that she's done good. Now, we very rarely see Max cry or show any kind of weakness throughout the whole run of the show. But in that moment, she's feeling the stinging rejection from Anne, and she asks, How could we all have sacrificed so much and still not have anything to show for it? They ultimately lose this one battle for Nassau, and Max hears that Jack and his men are going to continue to follow Captain Flint somewhere else to further his plans. And it feels like the emotional moment she just had with Anne, the fact that she just learned that Eleanor was killed over the Battle of Nassau, and this moment that she had up on the deck, hearing that Jack is going to continue to follow Captain Flint in his plans that ended them up here in the first place, finally sets a light to that righteous anger that's always been bubbling beneath Max's skin. She says, quote, Eleanor is dead, Anne is nearly dead, and the governor is sitting in Nassau in my fucking chair victorious. You cannot fight civilization from the outside in, and your plan is to follow that man into more of the same? But Jack is just as fucking angry, yelling at Max that if his men had their way, she would be killed and thrown into the sea rather than be given another opportunity to fuck them over. But she refuses to back down. 
She's too angry. She says, quote, Eleanor is dead and Anne is nearly dead and I want him to pay for all of it dearly. Do you want to help me or not? She proposes going north instead of following Flint, going to Philadelphia to Eleanor Guthrie's grandfather, the one man with the kind of money and power to help them rightfully take the island back. And on the way there, Jack tends to Anne's wounds and she points out that Max hasn't been back down to see her and that she split between being furious that Max wouldn't apologize for the things that she did and realizing that it would have been easy for Max to lie and apologize and recognizing that she chose not to is a lot for Anne to take in. And once again, Jack is there. He's there to care for her and to keep away those that might upset her and to tend to her broken body and her broken heart until it is put back together again. Anne rightfully points out that Jack is the one keeping Max away, and he says, you need to recover. There'll be plenty of time for you to kill her later. He also fully does not trust Max at first when they land in Philadelphia, and keeps her out of the conversation with Eleanor Guthrie's parents, until he realizes that the grandfather is not the one holding the real power. It's the grandmother. She's the real one they have to win over. And he realizes that having a woman, having Max, in that next conversation, is the only way he's going to win the fight for the island. He says to Max, quote, if she were to look across that table and see a woman with some experience quietly wielding power over men without them knowing it, a woman who might remind her of herself, it might go a long way towards winning her. Which might be the nicest thing Jack says to Max in the entire run of this show. And when Max finally does get to sit down with the grandmother Guthrie, she very boldly asks Max, how does one rise from a slave plantation in the West Indies to a library in Philadelphia trying to remake the world? And Max responds that despite Eleanor's best effort to do it herself, there was a truth that she could not see about that island. And she calls back to a story that grandmother Guthrie had told about her son, Eleanor's dad, and the problem of a stray cat who kept coming to their home and enraging his father, prompting their son to receive beating after beating. And Max says, quote, that at some point, progress cannot begin and suffering will not end until someone has the courage to go out into the woods and drown the damned cat. Lend us your help and we will do whatever must be done to move Nassau forward, unquote. And it works. Grandmother Guthrie is won over and she'll give them anything they want as long as Jack makes sure that Captain Flint dies. It's the only way the war for Nassau ends. He tells as much to Anne when he gets back to the ship and she asks, how can he do this? She says that killing Flint would be like betraying their own men. It's like betraying the memory of Charles Vane. But he tells her, Charles is dead. He says, quote, I'm doing this for us. That's how it started. That's how it's going to end. But he has to leave her behind to do it. And so Jack sails off to the end of the story in Nassau and Anne stays in Philadelphia with Max to recover from her wounds. He can barely get the words out to Max after hugging Anne and seeing her off, turning to Max and saying, you'll, you know, because he doesn't have to say it. He knows that Max is in this now and he knows that Anne will be well taken care of. Even if Anne tries to resist it, she pushes against Max's care and plans for their future together, telling her to stop acting like them with a future together was a real thing. She tells Max, quote, I don't know who broke it first, but it broke and there ain't no putting it back together again, unquote. She goes so far as to try to get up on her own feet and get onto another ship and get out of the city. That's until Max's girl, her best friend from the island, the spy that Max wouldn't turn in, tells Anne that that woman that Anne killed in the brothel that time back was her friend. She said she wanted to hire someone to kill Anne over it, but Max wouldn't allow it. And then Anne proceeds to hear exactly what she has needed to hear about Max for a very long time. Quote, despite the world reminding her every day of her life that she's undeserving of being given anything by it, that she is unworthy of what little she managed to take from it, despite all of that, she never believed a word of it. That woman has been fighting the whole goddamn world since the day she was born. She's a breath away from winning that fight, and for whatever reason, she wants to share the spoils with you, and you'd walk away, unquote. This is a character who hates Anne, a character whose friend Anne killed that stands there and basically tells her that she's a fucking idiot to walk away from Max right now. That Max giving Anne her heart and her spoils of victory is an honor that Anne would be a fool not to take. Another note from co-writer Elizabeth here in this moment is that it also drives home that Anne has also done some incredibly selfish things that hurt other people and received understanding and help and forgiveness in a way that Max never got and Max deserves some of the same. Meanwhile, 
Max is being groomed in the ways of high society and learning from Grandmother Guthrie. It was true what Jack assumed. The grandmother sees a great deal of herself in Max and wants to help mold her from the rough-and-tumble leader she's cobbled herself into, despite all the odds, to the leader of Nassau. She would just like to hand it to Max, but she's aware of the world and knows that people will not accept a woman like her, a person like her, as the leader in name of the island. And so they go to a party and she picks out a man for Max, a wealthy man to show the world while she's busy making the real decisions where no one can see and everyone can benefit. She even assures Max that she's under no obligation to have sex with this man, even as his wife. That's what the brothel in Nassau is for. Grandmother Guthrie says to Max that she's the person who can make all of the dreams Max has had all these years a reality, and all Max has to do is make this choice. Marry this man and take the power he holds to use as her own. But in the end, Max can't do it, and she tells Anne as much, and Anne cannot understand why. Which Max can only explain through, hands down, the most beautifully romantic monologue I believe I've ever heard. Please bear with me as I try to do it some justice. Quote, I remember when I first met Eleanor how stunned I was. A woman who spoke the way she did, who had no fear over the world or the men who reigned over it. When I became her lover, I watched the decisions she made and resolved to learn from them. When I became her rival, I watched the mistakes she made and resolved never to repeat them. But at the end, when I felt I had surpassed her in every way, it seems as though there was something she was still trying to say to me, surrendering everything she had sacrificed so dearly for because it would have come at the expense of the one that she loved. She was trying to tell me I just could not hear her about what was truly important. I said no to Mary Ann Guthrie's plan despite having no alternative and at the risk of losing the entire endeavor because I refused to situate a man in a position where he might interfere one day with my ability to repair things with you. You're the bravest person I've ever known, the truest person I've ever known, and I betrayed you and it sickens me. I am so sorry for working so hard to protect the wrong things for failing to see that there's nothing more important that does not include you, unquote. For failing to see that there's nothing important that does not include you. And right there, these two women, Anne and Max, battered heart, body, and soul, who have done each other wrong and loved each other in spite of it, are sitting in the snow so far from home, and Anne reaches her hand between them, and you can feel something be mended with them. Anne Bonny, Max, and Jack Rackham then emerge from this story a little battered and war-torn, but all together whole. And at the end of it all, they together hold the power and the influence to run the island. Because despite not taking a husband, remember the kindness Max showed to the crew member that had been spying for Flint? The man who said he would never forget the good she'd done? Well, her kind heart and strategic mind pays off as she puts him in the role of governor of the island, meaning she doesn't have to marry anyone, leaving her free to actually hold the power, no lying or sham marriages required, leaving her free to mend her relationship with Anne. In Jack's words, at the end of the last episode, he explains the new governor and what a good man he is, but he says, quote, let's just say the true power here is a little more complicated than that, unquote. As he casts a look to Max on her balcony overseeing the tavern. And Anne and Jack get to keep sailing, taking in all the misfits of the island, including a character who introduces themselves as Mark. One that Anne gives a wandering eye to that also might be a stand-in for the Mary Reed I mentioned at the beginning, the real woman from Anne Bonny's story. This last scene of Anne's is such a beautiful contrast to her introduction as well. We first meet her as a character hiding in the shadows, only coming out to bite like an attack dog and do what she's told. But in this last moment, she's standing in command of a ship by Jack's side out in the sunlight, finally the one making the commands on the ship. There's an easy nature to her now. Her anger has melted away, and she and Jack are free to come and go as they please. Max waiting behind on the island, keeping it all running smoothly. And Bonnie, and Max, and yes, Jack Rackham's story, is complicated and full of betrayal and anger and hurt. Yet at the end, they stand the victors. They won the game that James Flint started. Remember how Captain Charles Vane said that they'd either be the death of each other or everyone would end up working for them? Black Sails lets all the queer characters live. It lets them thrive. And for that, I'll always be grateful to this show. Jack Rackham sums my feelings for the series up nicely in his last lines as he gazes upon his new flag, the Black 
he will raise as a pirate on the high seas so everyone knows whose ship is coming to take them. He says, quote, because what is it all for if it goes unremembered? It's the art that leaves the mark, but to leave it, it must transcend. It must speak for itself. It must be true, unquote. Black Sails may take some liberties with historical fact, and it may just be a story, but it leaves a mark. It transcends. It is true, and it will be remembered. Thank you for listening to Skip to the Gay Parts. Special thanks to my contributor for this episode, Elizabeth. Your notes truly made this episode sing. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at The Gay Parts Pod and Instagram at Skip to the Gay Parts Pod. The website link to our Ko-Fi and any bonfire campaigns will be in the bios. You can email skip to the gay parts at gmail.com with any comments, questions, or suggestions. You can follow me, Amanda, at abnormalamanda on Twitter, at abnormalamanda18 on Instagram, or at abnormalamanda underscore 18 on TikTok. Thank you all for being incredible listeners. And until next time, goodbye.